welcome to Pacific Mammal Research's Marine Mammal Highlight Series. We are a research and education nonprofit studying marine mammals in the Salish Sea off Washington State. In this series, you will learn about different marine mammals as we discuss the interesting facts about each species and debate which one we think is the best. Of course, we think all marine mammals are awesome. This is just our way to geek out, share some information, and have some fun. We hope you enjoy this series, and if you want to hear about a particular marine mammal, let us know in the comments. And without further ado, welcome to Marine Mammal Highlights. Uh, this week we are going to do the Salish Sea pinnipeds. So we've got, um, now not all of them because there are a few that we see here or there. These are our main ones, the guys that are here all the time, right? Not the other ones that we see occasionally. Uh, so we're going to be talking about stellar sea lions, California sea lions, and harbor seals, which of course is our favorite because that's one of our study animals. Um, so I'm Cindy. I'm Kat. And I'm Trevor. And Trevor's going to be talking about stellars, right? Yeah. And then Kat's going to be talking about Californians. And, well, California sea, sea lions. Just Californians in general, <laughs> California, like those crazy Californians. There. <laughs> uh, and then I'll be talking about the harbor seals. Um, so without further ado, so just briefly recap, um, you can listen to our other pinniped uh, episode to talk about the differences between seals and sea lions. Uh, but just in case you haven't, uh, quickly, um, the main difference is that you'll see is there on their head, the sea lions have little ear flaps and the seals do not. So true seals have just little holes behind their, in their, on their head that are their ears, and the sea lions have little out, outer ear flaps. Um, the other main difference are their flippers. Harbor uh, seals, uh, in general, have very small little flippers. <laughs> they can't really reach much of their body with. Uh, and then sea lions have much larger flippers that they can actually stand on their front end. They can put them down and, and hold their weight on them. And then the last thing is that sea lions can um, tuck their hind end underneath them and can actually walk on land with their front flippers as well. Um, whereas seals, their pelvic area is fused. And so they have to do a very odd looking caterpillar-like motion on land when they try to move. So, Which I think actually, side note on that, when we were learning about this in biology, my friend decided to demonstrate one time because she was trying to explain it to somebody else and she forgot she was wearing a skirt. Oh, Just no. FYI, don't demonstrate this to someone when you're wearing a skirt. It gets a little sketchy. Yeah. That, I mean, <laughs> unless you're really open about things. It was pretty It was pretty funny. She just got so enthused about explaining the difference between different pinnipeds, and it was just hilarious. And all good, good honor for actually just doing that, because it's not a very, even without, a, you know, with the pants on or whatever, it's not a very... Uh, Easy thing to demonstrate. Yeah. yeah it was it's, a demonstration, I would say. Glamorous. It's kind of silly looking. Yeah. Which she my son, it. my son loves to do it at seven when we're doing presentations. He's like, look, this is what they do. <laughs> so good, good note for not wearing skirts. Yeah, just in general. <laughs> okay, so Trevor's going to start us off with the stellar sea lions. All right, so stellar was named after George Willem Stellar, who officially described them in 1700s, I think it was. Right, so this I'm, is S-T-E-L-L-E-R, not AR, which I yeah, always I mean, they, are, they are stellar, but yeah, they are stellar. But <laughs> this is a different type of stellar. Um, but yeah, they you've probably seen them around here. They'll range from about midway south through California all the way up to Alaska and as far west as Russia and Japan. So there's 
technically two stocks, maybe three stocks we're trying to decide. Basically the ones on the east over here for us and then out towards Russia as the other stock. Right, because we're, we're the East Pacific. Right. Even though they're the West Coast of the United States, we're the East Pacific and then there's the West Pacific, right. So stellar sea lions, they're the largest of the eared seals. They exhibit a lot of sexual dimorphism where the females are a lot smaller than the males at full growth or full size. The females will get up to about 650 pounds on average, whereas the males can get up to about 2,500 pounds. Yeah, it's a big sea lion. That's a big difference too. And the real one, you can tell the sex just based on the size, but the males also just look tough. They're really broad. And they have the really thick chest and almost like a mane. Hence the name. Yeah, they kind of remind me of a guy that works out really a whole lot and doesn't have much neck, and it's just like this whole <laughs> yeah, thing, just, and it's just like, bah! yeah, and it's like real fluffy right there. They don't necessarily have the crest either as much on the head, kind of like the California sea lions, which we'll talk about more. Right. But not as pronounced. Right. You can, if you see them all off the beach, you can tell it with a female. Uh, they eat a lot of fish. So the, basically larger fish such as salmon or pollock or like popular fish like that, which kind of makes them a problem because a lot of people think they're taking all their fish for fishing. So they kind of compete with people in that way. It, you want to think about that. But. <laughs> well, we kind of do have to with seals and sea lions because that is a, a major kind of issue with with them with fishermen. Especially with the Columbia River, they've been they've been swimming up the Columbia River up to Portland as far up to Portland, and that's kind of been an issue with people because they're taking a lot of the fish at like the salmon ladders kind of mm -hmm. congregate there, and people are just trying to figure out what to do about them because they're getting somewhat of a nuisance, I think. But it's hard because they're protected under the Marine Protect Mammal Protection Act. I think part of the problem is that they're 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 going to those choke points where it it's easy pickings for them for some for a fair amount, and so it's it's kind of hard because they're like, well, they're at a place where the the fish can't get around, and it's just easier for them to pick them off. So then it's taking away from the fishermen's. Yeah, when all the fish come in one spot, it's just grab them, grab them, grab them. Versus actual, you know, but that's kind of our fault. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's smart on their part to try to take advantage of that, you know, but equally kind of creates a little bit of friction there. Right. Yeah, and we've, we've seen them in, in, the, uh, in our study area uh, when they're taking those big fish, right? They're bigger than they can actually swallow. They don't swallow it whole, so they have to, like, they pick it up, they take it with their mouth and just slap it back and forth, which is pretty fun to watch. Something I found out, too, that they will occasionally eat other seals. Very, very rarely. There's been some instances of them actually eating a harbor seal. What? Probably, Here or, or in other no, places? No, Alaska and Russia, I think they have okay. of that. And there was one, there's a video too of, it's kind of terrible, a male sea lion eating other sea lion pups. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, before, yeah. yeah I've heard that too. Researchers kind of determined it was a psychotic behavior, not normal whatsoever. Interesting. But I mean, so fish are their main diet, but they'll go after other things that they're desperate or starving. Right, or out of their minds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I wondered too, like uh, the, for the eating the pups, like obviously that's not a normal thing, but sometimes you'll have males that will kill pups in order to make the female go back into estrus and so that they are the, then they can mate with her and be the father of the kids. So that's not necessarily odd in the mammal world, but eating it, it's a whole different story. 
Um, that's a good transition to, to their reproduction, which I, I learned a lot about this actually. So they don't necessarily have harems like a lot of seals do, like elephant seals, for example. One male might mate with 50 females, and those are his females. But the sea lions more of they have a territory mm. that's kind of defined by landmarks that they'll defend, and then females are free to come in and out. He doesn't really collect females for a harem. The more of this, this is my zone. These are my females. Interesting. So it's a more, it's a more, uh, uh, what's the word? More modern harem. Where like, I'm not going to keep that. you here. You can come and go as you please. <laughs> but if you come in here, but <laughs> that's funny. The, let's see. They I think they're about their females are sexually mature at around three or four years. And same as the males, but the males really become like their dominant selves as in territorial wise around nine or 10 years when they're like full, full grown. So they can mate younger than that, but they'll defend them. They'll be like full strong male at nine to 10 years. It makes sense. It would take a little bit longer for them to grow into their bodies kind of thing. And they live with well, like 25, 30 years, right? I think so. Yeah. I was having a hard time getting a clear consensus of their full age but obviously the ones in the aquariums tend to live longer just based on they have a better record of it mm -hmm. but i think 35 years is about the general consensus of that um the females will give birth in the spring to a pup and they'll nurse it for one or two weeks but then they'll go out to sea after that to go feed themselves but i didn't know this the females tend to keep their pup for a full year yeah so they can I found that with the Californias too. I was surprised by that. I didn't realize that. Yeah, there's mm -hmm. some there's some records of them keeping them for up to three years, which is nuts. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because so aren't they? I mean, normally yearly breeders. They'll breed in the they will give birth to a pup, and then a week or two later, then they'll mate again. Right. But okay. another interesting fact too: they will they can mate, but the egg won't necessarily go into the over or the uh uterus until the fall. So yeah, del delayed implantation. Mm -hmm. Right, nuts. So they can do that and I think they can extend it longer if they need to, but it's generally the fall. Yeah, I think that's uh, pretty much most pinniped species. We talked about this, I think, with the otters as well, yeah. Um, but We talked about it with the southern elephant seal, actually. Yeah, but I think we also yeah. did talk about that otters can do it as well when we were talking about them. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, usually it's uh, a couple months and then sometimes even longer that they can hold on to it if things aren't right for it to happen. So it's, I think that's one of the coolest things in the mammal world that I've ever, out of all the things that we've learned, like, you should be like, I'm going to have this fertilized egg. I'm just going to hold on just a second, just not ready yet. <laughs> and then have it, but it makes sense for those that aren't always on land. So a lot of these pinniped species only come to land to breed. So they need to be able to do everything birth, wean, you know, do everything, mate, and then, but they have a certain amount of gestation period. So if that doesn't match up with them coming back to land, then that's a problem. So it right. makes sense, but it's really cool. The pups are fairly big too. They can be up to 50 pounds when they're born. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the females, when they finally do go out to go feed, instead of just pure milk for them, you know, they got to feed themselves too. They can find their pups again on the beach by just they recognize each other's snarls and growls and all that. So they have a little voice or voice cues that they can recognize and find each other on a really crowded beach. Yeah, I remember reading about that for the first time it was quite a few years ago now, but they weren't sure like how you know how they recognize each other. And then they realized it was vocal and 
I think some some can do sense, but um, that's part of like part of it. But vocal is kind of the main thing. Yeah, I saw scent was part of the factor, but it was mainly just the vocal. I got yeah, exactly. Which is crazy because if you've ever been around a sea lion rookery, yeah. <laughs> super loud, so yeah. loud. So I'm like, how are you taking? How are you finding that one little voice in there? <laughs> it's like the penguins too. Those huge colonies of penguins, and they can find right. each other. Right. Sure. Yeah. I guess we're, we're, we're putting our human sensibilities on their abilities, and so we're just like, what? Yeah, <laughs> How can you exactly. do that? <laughs> uh, I guess threat-wise, they're doing pretty decent population-wise, except in the Russian and Japanese, or the, no, sorry, the Aleutian Islands. They've declined like 70 or 80 percent in their population. Wow. And that's interesting. I'll remind me to talk really about the harbor seals in that area, too. Okay. They don't really know why. They think yeah. it could be more killer whale predation, um, overfishing was an option, mm -hmm. and they're also wondering if some of their fish, their food, is just going down because of climate change. Yeah. But otherwise, the general population is decent. Yeah, and I believe isn't the the eastern um, Pacific one here is was delisted because they were endangered for a while, but this right. they're now delisted, so that's good near threatened yeah <laughs> they're going down they're going in the correct direction progression i guess yeah <laughs> but yeah i think that pretty much covers the sarah sea line I think the only pinnipeds larger than that are the two elephant seals and the walrus so they're, they're right the biggest. but they're yeah they're in different yeah uh, the elephant seal is the biggest seal stellar yeah. sea lion is the biggest sea lion and then walrus has its own it's his own category. That's <laughs> something. <laughs> Very cool. Nice. I love the stellar. We always, Kat and I always get super excited whenever a stellar comes through. Because both oh, yeah, of us come from places, yeah, where, like, I came from Florida where there are no seals. So I was even like, yay, harbor seals. But particularly sea lions. And Kat had sea lions, had harbor seals all the time. But um, the sea lions were something new sea for lions both of us. So, so even, even, it's been six years now. And then every single time, like, a stellar comes through, we're like, oh. <gasps> They're loud when they smell us too. Yeah. One scared me the other day when I was doing field work. Okay. Sneaky. Hello. Yeah, so I was like, came along and then like right in front of the rocks, it's like, I mean, anything that just like is quiet the entire way underwater and then blows right underneath the rocks, if you're not ready for it, is a little terrifying. Yeah. And if any of you guys have been on any of the like nature tours or whale watching tours around this area, you may well have seen stellars because a lot of times they will go, the boats will take you to um, a haul out site where you can actually see some of them on rocks or on, um, they'll kind of haul out on other things around here too, like docks and jetties and buoys every once in a while if they can fit them. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, well, I love that the, the one picture I have was one of this, this one, <laughs> Still sea right. lion, a female, I think it was, yeah, uh, on this buoy, and she's taking up like the entire buoy. But then uh, one of our other friends that does pictures, she took a picture of that same kind of buoy, and there was like two or three sea lions on it, and there was another one that was like, "Can I come up?" <laughs> there was no room. Right. It's like, funny. sorry. Yeah. Oh, I guess that's one more thing I should mention too with their haulouts. If you're in Anacortes or this area, you probably haven't seen them on the beach. They like right. to be on open rocks that's easy access to open water mm -hmm. so they can just quickly go and pee and then come right back to their rock so that's why it's you haven't really seen them probably around here on the beach california and oregon is a little different because there's more just that's just beach right 
And the Puget Sound here is just. And I, th yeah. I think a lot of the, um, if I remember from the, one of the conferences we went to, they will go come into the Salish Sea and then go back out to the rookeries, which are more in the Strait of Juan de Fuca and kind of out to the coast a little bit too. So I think there's a habitat area that they like better than what's in here. <laughs> and they're technically here year round, but in the summer months, they kind of disperse a little bit more for more feeding grounds. But the, I mean, they'll get some here and there the whole year, but we're now just seeing them come back again. Yeah, and so I have my note here because I remember from the conference, we're like, oh, this makes sense. This is when we see them in the past. They go down in the summer and they increase in spring and fall as they're traveling back and forth from their rookeries. Gotcha. And the same thing for Californian sea lions as well. Um, so it was kind of neat that what we saw then was like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> That's why. Okay. okay. Cool. Moving on to Californian sea lions. Yeah, so actually Trevor touched on a few things that are very similar between um, Californians and Stellars. So California sea lions obviously named because they predominantly breed in California. What? So hence the, <laughs> I know, such an inventive name. Um, and these guys you may well have seen in um, like aquariums or zoos. Um, they're very easily trained and they're highly curious and they're very intelligent. So they do seem to be one of the species that does better, I mean, yeah, better, does yeah. does better um, in that type of con right? Like they can survive a little bit longer, and they are able to be trained, so they can do more of the shows and stuff that um, a lot of those places like to put on for the general public. Um, so they are native to the west coast of North America, and predominantly they live in coastal waters. Um, like I said, they will haul out on again, similar to the Stellars, they'll haul out on mostly sandy beaches or rocky coves, but around this area they'll also haul out frequently on jetties, um, buoys, docks, if you've ever been down to Seattle. Um, I forget which pier it is, but there's one pier down in Seattle where it's just covered in California sea lions, like they're just, that's one of their main haul out sites, and you can hear it from like miles. <laughs> yeah, I think it's funny, we saw uh, somewhere where they had, it, it's a, a buoy system, or a dock that was put on either by the military or something and they're like yeah that's that's where they go yeah <laughs> like thanks i mean they're very they're very resourceful let's just put it that way like they'll yeah. if you put something in their path they're like oh cool i can hang out on that that's great, great. <laughs> um and they will haul out um again to to breed and to mate but also um they will haul out to similar to seals like they'll haul out just to warm up a little bit too sometimes depending on you know where they are at that point in the year so the last no account, um, I think the last population count was done thoroughly in about 2014. So it's been a while, but it was around about 250,000 um, in all of their range. So they, again, very similar to the Stellars, their range is basically all the way from um, the Pacific coast of central Mexico, all the way up to Southeast Alaska. So they're found basically all along the West coast of North America. Um, and traditionally they were, which I didn't know, but traditionally they were hunted for uh, food by the native Californians in the Channel Islands oh, really? um, around four to 5,000 years ago, they think. Um, and they were also used as an oil source and for their hides in kind of the mid 1800s. Um, so they were hunted to quite some extent at that point, although there doesn't seem to be any evidence that that really drastically impacted the population. Again, we don't have a ton of good hmm. population records at that time either, but um so I thought that was really interesting I didn't know yeah, that I didn't realize that yeah um so again similar to the Stellars these California sea lions exhibit uh sexual dimorphism as well so the males are quite a bit bigger than the females uh the females get up to about 240 pounds um they're kind of fairly long and slender 
about six feet in length. And um, the females are typically kind of a, they're slightly lighter than the males, apparently. Um, hmm. So they'll be more of like the kind of caramel brown to like a kind of a, like a lighter brown-ish. Um, whereas the males are more of like the dark brown to almost black in color, which I didn't actually realize that they had that much color variation. We don't tend to, when we see them in our study site, it's when they're, they're like, it's usually a single individual passing through. So it's hard to get a comparison, but um, I did look up some pictures and yeah, when they're hauled out on beaches, you can see quite distinctively that the females are quite a bit lighter than the males, which was very cool. Hmm. Well, um, I'd like to look back at some of our pictures then and see, I mean, yeah. just, yeah. I would, I would think from what I remember that there are probably females that we're seeing, but I'd have to look well, at Well, we've color. seen quite a few. So the other main point of well, sexual yeah, yeah. dimorphism Besides is that them. the males, <laughs> yeah, the males have a really they big don't. sagittal crest is what it's called. So basically like their forehead comes out like that. It's like a bit, almost like a 90 degree angle. They have a, well, it seems like a big bump on their forehead. They have a five um, head. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, so that's one of the main ways that you can tell just aside from size. It's one of the main ways you can tell if you're looking at a male or a female is if they have that big sagittal crest and it is very obvious. It's very prominent. Yeah. Um, and again, the males get up to around about 700 pounds um, and up to about seven to seven and a half feet in length. So bigger than the females and longer than the females as well. Um, again, very similar to the Stellars, both seem to reach, both males and females reach sexual maturity at between four to five years old. But again, they really don't start actively defending territory regions until about nine or 10. So it's very similar. It's like they, they technically reach sexual maturity, but the way that they put it on the NOAA website is they don't reach social maturity mm. till about, I think they said nine to 12 years actually of age. Um, which like you said, Cindy, that kind of makes sense where you'd have to sort of grow into and work your way up the totem pole to start actually maintaining your own territory. Okay. Um, so again, you know, in that sense, very similar to the Stellars, they, they do a territorial defense. Um, and I think it said that within each territory, normally that houses about 14 to 15 females within each male's territory. But again, they're not actively maintaining a harem. It's, it's defending a territory region. Um, and then the females within that are theirs to mate with. Um, so there's the the thing for both of these species, or I mean, for anyone that has like territories or harems, there's the sneaky male way to go, where instead of defending like they are, you can have these males like come in and be like, hee hee, I'm just gonna mate with this female real quick and then run away. Right. So, and they actually did find, uh, some studies have found that that's a pretty good way to go, that they've actually fathered quite a few. Like fairly um, successful. Yeah. So it's, it's different strategies. Right. If you can't you know. beat everybody, beat, beat each other up, then you can maybe sneak in. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, they are, I guess, California sea lions are fairly, they're very curious, but equally they don't tend to be aggressive unless they are in breeding season. Um, and then the males can get very, very aggressive. Um, definitely heard reports around here. I think to some degree in this area, um, they are a little bit more used to people being on vessels. And so there, I've heard a lot of reports from like my fishermen friends and stuff that they will just follow boats. Cause again, they're curious and yeah. also you have fish on board. So like, <laughs> duh. Um, but like they, they're, they're big. So, you yeah. know, they can be a little intimidating if they're actively following your boats or your kayak or something, you know, if they're checking out your kayak, I've definitely heard that from a few of my friends too, where they'll, they'll follow the kayaks just because they're curious as to what you are. And, right. you know, so it can be a little daunting, um, but they're not typically aggressive unless it is in breeding season. And then even that is typically towards other males. But if you got close to the rookery at that time of year, I wouldn't necessarily want to go by there in a kayak. That might not yeah. be the smartest move. Yeah. Um, 
So typically they're found within more of the shallow waters in the North Pacific Ocean. So um, they'll go down and breed in California uh, around that Channel Island um, region. And interestingly, so the males specifically will migrate in the winter to feeding areas. And the feeding areas are, you know, kind of the northern regions up here. So like off of Oregon, Washington, BC, and up, up into Southeast Alaska. The females who have pups will actually stay in California during that time and feed the pups until they're weaned. Um, so that was interesting because we do see quite a few males up here. It seems to be a lot of yeah. like the males and the sub-male, uh, sub-adult males that we're seeing up here, which would make a lot of sense um, given that. So I thought that was really interesting. And again, the females will stay in that area until the pups are fully weaned, which, you know, like, like I mentioned when Trevor was speaking, it can be up to a year and they'll do a very similar thing. Well, though, once they give birth, they'll feed the pups exclusively for about two to five days. Then they'll go and take two to five days offshore foraging for themselves then they'll come back and they'll do that cycle repeatedly repeatedly until the pups are fully weaned um so again um the pups themselves actually which i thought was really cool i didn't know this the pups when they're born are dark brown but then they actually molt when they're about five to uh, four to five months old and become mm -hmm. a sort of light brown silvery color Oh, which I thought was really cool. And then as they grow older and again, reach maturity, they will then, you know, molt progressively to become a little bit darker again. So I don't, I mean, that must be some sort of camouflage thing that's helpful for them to be that lighter color when they're on land and, and, you know, waiting for their moms, but. I yeah, I guess maybe with the gone. silver and the sand. That's what I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, very similar to sellers, they'll use um, vocalizations to find, females will use vocalizations to find their pups um, on the haul out areas. So they will have the, the males and the females and adults will, will predominantly use barking, which again, if you've ever seen California sea lions, you probably have heard them barking. They're very Definitely. loud. Um, that's their sort of predominant communication, but the females and the pups have specific vocalizations that they will use. And then again, they'll use scent once they get close to the pup, they'll basically use scent to confirm that that is in fact their pup. Um, but you know, like Trevor was mentioning, that's, that's kind of their main way of finding one another in amongst all the masses of sea lions. <laughs> and there'd be hundreds at, at a rookery. I mean, oh, yeah. it's just oh, yeah. nuts. Like you can't see ground sometimes. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Um, so in terms of their diet, they mostly feed in the offshore waters and they have a pretty variable diet. I know squid, anchovies, mackerel, rockfish, and sardines especially are one of their favorites, I guess. Mm. Um, so they're, you know, kind of a little bit more opportunistic. They will sometimes take from commercial fish fishery operations, which again, like we mentioned a little bit earlier, can create some of that friction that, you know, many of you might have heard about or maybe have experienced yourself if you are a fisherman. Um, and their, their diet is pretty much consistent. The one thing which I actually had forgotten about, but there was a, an unusual mortality event declared in 2013 through 2017 for California sea lions. And they think that was predominantly due to changes in the prey species um, in the California current. I guess they had a lot of warm water and uh, warm water anomalies. Well, we at that the, time, the blob too, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that was what they were referring to. Yeah. Um, and so that they think was, was one of the main causes of that unusual, unusual mortality event. I have a hard time saying that. <laughs> um, and I guess it was mostly pups and juveniles. So again, like they weren't mm -hmm. getting fed and they weren't able to feed as consistently. So, um, you know, as much as their population seems to be doing very well on the whole, you know, they're still susceptible to those environmental shifts that uh, are very impactful on their populations. 
Um, the other cool thing about these guys is you may see them, um, they'll do this behavior called rafting. So basically they'll, they'll kind of lay stationary in the water at the surface and they'll stick their flippers out of the water. <laughs> and basically it's to thermoregulate. So they're effectively warming themselves up or cooling themselves down depending on what they need. But they'll kind of just lay there with their flippers out of the water. And usually they do it in groups, right? Oftentimes, but not yeah. always. They can, okay. they can, um, they will do it by themselves as well if they're out foraging by themselves. Uh, and they'll just stay motionless. I think Stellars do that as well. I think quite a few yeah. of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think quite I think a few of them will do that. Down south, I think a bunch of the California sea lions in the Puget Sound will gather and do that. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. And especially because they are, I mean, you don't often see the transient killer whales taking California sea lions, but they are prey for, for killer whales. So, I mean, that would make sense for them to want to do that in larger numbers, just as a safety measure. Um, let's see. So, yeah, and then their, their main threats are really entanglements. Um, so I guess, because, again, because they will a lot of times opportunistically forage in and around fishery operations, they are very susceptible to becoming entangled in all kinds of different fishing gear. And basically when that happens, um, they, they'll end up basically getting either caught in it in such a way where they can't get back to the surface and then they'll drown or they'll end up having it on their body and trying to swim with that. And over time, they just get that's so tired of trying to swim with this huge amount of drag on them that they eventually drown because they're just too tired to swim to back to the surface. And sometimes they can get it around their neck and then they just gr keep growing. It's like a dog collar that was too small right. that you didn't take off and it just, it starts to grow in, like cut into their neck. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty awful. Yeah. Um, the other main threat for them is actually biotoxins. So again, because they're hanging out pretty much on this coastal, um, this west coast of North America, a lot of times we do get very large algal blooms, um, and those algal blooms can actually release toxins um, that are mm -hmm. highly dangerous to basically any animal or fish that's in the ocean in that region. Um, people as well. If you go swimming, like you, you're not allowed to swim during red tides, for example. Um, but because they are top predators, the toxins that are absorbed by their prey species bioaccumulate and then so the sea lions basically get the highest dose of the toxins and often they're already swimming in it as well. Um, but they're consuming prey that has consumed toxins. So that can be uh, a big problem dur during those periods, um, I guess biotoxins are actually a pretty they, they can almost be a, a kind of a canary in a coal mine type thing because you'll see like the domaic 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 yeah, acid, acid poisoning, yeah. Uh, paralytic selfish poisoning. Those are all ones where you'll see them, and they basically look drunk, right? They, yeah. It's a neurological. Yeah, they start acting very, so very strange. Yeah, so you can be like, okay, there's something not going on good with the ecosystem there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then the other main threat is us, obviously. So again, like we mentioned, you know, there is a lot of conflict with, you know, commercial fishermen, but also just people who are perhaps a little less well-informed, don't really care about the environment, who decide to try to take pot shots at California sea lions for mm. some reason. Not sure why people feel the need to do that, but apparently that's a thing that happens. So um, humans harassing, shooting, injuring, or maiming sea lions is also one of their main threats, really. And again, because they are inhabiting coastal areas that are also inhabited by a lot of people, it's not surprising necessarily, but one of the other ways that we can really harm them is by feeding them actively, uh, because then um, they become a lot less concerned about approaching vessels and approaching people, and so they can end up getting into um, some pretty deadly situations just because they're, they start to associate boats with food. 
Um, right. So that's happened several times because again, because they're found on docks a lot of times, people think it's cool to feed them and hang out and like, oh, look at that, it's a resident pet sea lion, we feed them fish every morning. And you know, pretty soon they're following boats and then either get run over by a boat or end up again, getting into some sort of interaction that's uh, dangerous for them with, with people. So that was very there interesting. Those concerning videos of them hopping on the stern of mm -hmm. moving boats with people's fish and cereal. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're just teaching them that all people are the same and all of them will have fish for you. And then right. if they don't, and then they don't understand that there's propellers and they, you know, they don't know all that stuff. And yeah, I mean, yeah. We, at, at college, we had people feeding squirrels. And then, but the problem is then when you don't feed the squirrels, if you're a person that sits down and doesn't have the squirrel food, the squirrels are like, they're what gonna, it's gonna get ugly. Right, it's gonna get <laughs> ugly. So imagine a, when it says squirrels like this big, you know, now you got a stellar, you know, a California sea lion that's like 700 pounds. Like, it's not a good thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up California sea lions. Like I said, I mean, they are one of the more well-known pinniped species just because a lot of times, like, if you ever saw the movie Andre, that's kind of a yeah. 90s reference, but you know, that was a California sea lion. So they're, yeah. they're, like I said, a lot of times they're used in shows and such, but, um, yeah, very cool critters. They are very cool. And now we are on to the harbor seals. So these are the uh, smallest of the ones we're going to be talking about today. And actually, um, the harbor seals are actually the second smallest phocid. So the second smallest seal in the world. The only thing smaller is a ring seal. And if you haven't seen a ring seal, please go look them up because they're so cute. Um, but we, they are only about 180 to 285 pounds compared to our 700 pound Californians and up to 2,500 pound Stellars. So itty bitty in comparison. Um, but they are 24 pounds at birth. So still a hefty baby. <laughs> okay. Pretty um, big. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so they are five to six feet and, uh, the males are slightly larger, like we said for the sea lions, but, um, not really ones that you could tell in, in the water or on land even. Um, like you can with the sea lions. Um, and I thought was interesting um, is that the Pacific seals are actually larger than the Atlantic seals. So they're found in both oceans all the way around, um, but the Pacific ones are just a little bit bigger. I'm not sure why, um, but I kind of like to think that the Pacific is just a little bit rougher ocean. <laughs> so you gotta be a bit tougher, I don't know. <laughs> no stock intermingle whatsoever in the Arctic. Or are they still pretty blocked with ice? You know what? I don't know. I would think it's probably blocked with ice, but I don't. I don't know if they have actually even, even looked at that at all. I mean, they're genetically different, so I guess right. not too much overlap. Yeah. Um, so they live about twenty-five to thirty years, and they are sexually mature between three to seven. So fairly similar with our other pinnipeds here. Um, <clears throat> they are the most common marine mammal along the U.S. West and East Coast. So. They're pretty common. Um, they are the most common marine mammal in the Salish Sea here. If you're going to see a marine mammal, you're most likely going to see a harbor seal. Um, and they, in the past, uh, their, their population is doing very well now. Um, but in the past, they were, uh, the state actually financed uh, bounty hunters to kill them in Washington and Oregon. Um, this was between, I think, like 18, in the late 1800s to the 1960s when it stopped. Um, but between 1943 and 1960, 17,133 were killed. And I'm sure that's probably not completely accurate. There's probably more that weren't, um, you know, turned in or whatever. 
Um, but basically, as we were talking about with that, with the other seals, the sea lions, they are eating things that the fishermen also were trying to take. So they were seeing as competition. So the government was saying, hey, go out and kill them. That will help the fishermen and whatnot. Um, obviously very bad for the seals and the ecosystem in general. So luckily in 1960, they stopped that. Um, and since then, they have uh, rebounded quite well. Uh, and most of, their, uh, most of their stocks are doing well. There's the Alaska, California, or Oregon, Washington, Washington Inland, and then the Western North Atlantic stocks. Um, and they're all doing very well, for the, except for one. Um, many are increasing in the Salish Sea here. Our animals seem to have been at carrying capacity, which is the, the most amount that the ecosystem can handle having. Um, so if you look at a curve, it goes up and then kind of plateaus. So that's where we're at with the Salish Sea animals um, since 19, about like around 1990. So they're doing really well here. Um, and this, so the Salish Sea may be the most dense harbor seal population in the world. We have wow, I didn't know that. I That's think because cool. it's a relatively enclosed space compared to the coastlines of other places, perhaps. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's pretty pretty densely packed here, which is oh. interesting. Um, so the only exception is the Gulf of Alaska. And so that's why I was saying earlier, Trevor, when you're saying that the sea lions up there weren't doing very well in the Aleutians, um, also they're decreasing, the harbor seals are decreasing there as well. So yeah. perhaps it is a, a food thing um, or a killer whale thing. <laughs> killer whales can eat a lot of different things. I mean, good Lord, they're taking sea otters, which are like, you know, little, little tiny bits of meat with fur. Um, <laughs> so uh, it would seem like that would be a better meal for them. But um, so for whatever reason, Alaska is, is having some issues with their um, seals and sea lions. But um, <clears throat> these guys, uh, appearance-wise, are really cool. Uh, I think a little bit cooler than the sea, the sea lions we talked about, because the sea lions are all just one color. The, <laughs> I still that look, cat. Uh, um, but the, the because they can be anywhere from light tan, silver, or blue-gray with dark speckles, or they can have a really dark background with these light rings. And so there's this really big variation in what they look like, which is just really cool. Um, and the really cool thing they too about that too. Hmm? They are adorable too. They are. I mean, they're they're short, yeah. they're kind of squishy and fat, and like some of them, when they're really well fed, they look like just big. <laughs> so cute. Cute. Um, but what's cool is that you can the pelage patterns, like the pelage is their their fur and skin. Um, those patterns of spots are unique, and even as they molt and they lose their fur and they regain it, they this the spots are still there. So that's actually what we use for photo ID for these animals. So we can actually track them over time by looking at the spotting patterns, um, which is very helpful. Um, something you can't do with the Stellars or the California sea lions since they don't have spots. <laughs> um, and sometimes what's interesting is you can see that they're, uh, they have, they're reddish in color, um, especially along the California coast. <clears throat> and, but we actually have seen them here in the Salish Sea where you'll see them out and like, oh my gosh, there's like blood on the animal, but it's, it's not, it's just, it's just right. reddish coloration. Um, and what they think that is from uh, accumulation of trace elements like iron or selenium that get kind of built up um, and could, and, or, or a change in the hair follicle that causes something. But uh, in some places it's fairly striking how many there are and in other cases it's just occasional. So it depends on, the, on the, what's happening in the water. Um, so these guys are, uh, they live about half their life in the water and half their time on land. So they do a lot of hauling out um, they'll haul out on rocks, reefs, beaches, drifting glacial ice, if you're way up north, 
Um, again, this is for, as with other pinnipeds, regulating body temperature, right? They're getting warmer usually, <clears throat> they live in colder water, but could either way. Um, to molt, right, to lose their fur, or their hair, sorry, not their fur. Um, interact with other seals, uh, to give birth, to raise their pups, and to avoid predators. Uh, they like to do these in groups because if you're hauling out by yourself, you have to pay attention all the time. <laughs> but if you're hauling out with a whole group, then everybody can share the, share the, um, um, what's the word? Share, share the, the, the responsibility for doing that. Observational. Right, the observation time, like you are on lookout, it's your turn, I'm gonna sleep. Um, and actually Trevor just got a really good picture of a transient orca that was circumnavigating some rocks with, uh, with some harbor seals on it. And there's just, in the front of the picture, there's a female and her little pup. <laughs> and they're looking and there's this dorsal fin just going by. <laughs> At one point the water was just churning because all the seals were like, ah, trying to oh get my god, oh my god, oh my god, get out, get out of the rock. <laughs> like all crowded trying to get onto the same rock. <laughs> like, come on, get, make some space for me, can't be in the water. <laughs> Um, so that's a, a good thing to avoid predators with. Uh, they also have that delayed implantation, um, and so they are pregnant for about 10 months, but they will, they basically come on land, give birth, uh, and then as we talked about before, they mate uh, right after that, basically. Um, but the interesting thing about these guys is that the sea lions will mate on land, but these guys mate in the water, which is different than many other pinnipeds. And we were lucky enough, or Kat was lucky enough to uh, witness this a couple weeks ago. Uh, and uh, before it was like 20 minutes, they were hanging out doing their- It was, I mean, I, when I saw them, it, who knows if they were, you know, had started before, but when I saw them to when they separated was about 20 to 25 minutes. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know if that's, maybe that's a really long time, maybe it's a short time, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the length of time is for Harvard. Who knows? Um, but it was interesting. And then uh, our friend over on Island Adventures, uh, they, Erin, she has a picture. I don't know if you saw that. She posted it on that thread um, that she caught them yeah. in the act as well on their whale watching boat. So that's kind of a fun, fun thing you might, might get to see. Um, and then also, if you see, male, if you see a, 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 a seal that's thrashing their flippers, their hind flippers back and forth across the water, and sometimes they'll do it over and over and over again for like 10 or 15 minutes. Um, believe that is males displaying how awesome they are. So apparently if you can tail swap really good, that's really sexy to the ladies, apparently. <laughs> so, um, and we don't, we don't know too much about their underwater behavior uh, that hasn't been looked in too much. So we don't know exactly what their mating system is, but that does seem to be a part of it. <clears throat> um, when the pups are born, they can swim at birth, uh, but, and dive up to two minutes at only two to three days old. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, and but they I love this they may ride on the mother's back when they're tired and I Aww. so want to see this like I want I want to see a little female with her little baby just swimming on his back <laughs> adorable that's cool um, yeah so these guys so they don't have their calves for a year like your both of your guys's um they only nurse their calf their bit their pups for about four to six weeks um and the milk fat the, the milk that they have is 50 percent fat so, and you'll see that with pinnipeds, the shorter amount of nursing there is, the higher amount of milk fat the milk has, because they need to basically plump up the babies before they head off. Um, they make a cute little sound um, for uh, when the babies uh, call to their mother. Um, and what's interesting is the moms don't teach the pups to hunt. They actually oh. live to so, and I'm, I'm going to assume then that the sea lions 
do teach them to some degree if they're doing it if they're I'm not sure it's the same with elephant seals too they won't teach their pups they say good luck yeah. and they head out yeah so i don't know interesting so, yeah it's kind of be like you're six weeks old hmm. off you go <laughs> good luck so um so the pupping varies by location usually the farther south they are because they are you know, down through california um that they will pup earlier um so i have the thing here so like by uh in california um they'll be mid-april and july up in oregon they'll be may to july along our coast it's june to august and in the upper salish sea it's june to august but if you go down south now into southern puget sound it's june to september and august to october wow so they're farther south than the northern part of our area but they're going later in the year so we're kind of that july that i got that i saw that happening later on uh oh yeah so yeah trevor actually caught amazingly uh a pup giving birth a mother giving birth like literally the head was sticking out the back end of the female on the, some rocks um and that was up in the islands so that was july so june june through august is when we would see that up right. here so yeah that makes sense um so it's interesting that this that southern puget sound area is a little bit different um <clears throat> they're basically non-migratory they think that they stay pretty close to where they uh, are born staying within 15 to 31 miles from their home uh, but there have been some tagged up to 250 miles away from their original okay so i would i would suspect that those are probably males but who knows some random individuals that feel they need to go see the world um they can sleep underwater which is cool uh which it probably keeps them safe from predators to some degree you don't want to be floating on the surface of the water and sleeping <laughs> um and they so they can hold their breath for up to 30 minutes uh, which is pretty impressive um let's see the food they are generalists so which makes them really well suited to be able to deal with changes in prey and you know changes made by humans and things like that because if one species goes out ah that's okay i got 59 other ones i can go eat so fish crustaceans uh, octopus cephalopods um and they can they'll switch to whatever is abundant at the time so well that one's in that one's going all right i'll eat that one right now um it will change with breeding season so especially for females you know if they're needing to um bulk up on their on their fat and stuff for the baby uh, they'll eat ones that are more higher than that, probably. Um, <clears throat> then, so when they're going to catch their food, uh, they can dive up to three. I, I found basically between 300 to 500 feet was kind of a, a normal max range, but there was one that I saw that was up to like 1500 feet. So that was wow. a crazy for a harbor seal. Yeah. Wow. That was a record. I don't know. It didn't expand about 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 how what that record was about, but that has been the record for the stellar was fourteen hundred. So kind of yeah. So yeah. he's like, I'm I got a Napoleon complex or something. He's like, I can do it too. So I'm not wow. sure. Maybe he was out of his mind. I don't know. <laughs> but normally, more shallow dives, three hundred to five hundred feet, um, and about three to six minute dives. Um, but like I said, they can hold their breath for 30 minutes at a time for sleeping. Um, but how they do this, and so this is probably similar to a lot of the other seals and sea lions, um, but they are they have these adaptations to be able to dive um, and not get the bends and have other issues. 
Uh, one thing is that their breath exchange is way better. They can exchange 90% of their lungs. Guess how much we can, we can exchange, humans? 30%. 30, yeah. Close, 20. We're really inefficient. <laughs> <laughs> so they can exchange 90% of the lungs, which means that they can get a lot more air and you know, oxygen in that we can. Um, they can tolerate uh, low carbon dioxide and uh, lactic acid buildup. <clears throat> um, they, this is the coolest thing. They can induce bradycardia, which means they can, they can make their heart slow down. So they'll go from like 55 to 120 beats per minute to down to four to 15 beats per minute, which is, and that's when they're actively diving, which is just seems backwards, right? It seems like you should have a higher heart rate when you're going down there doing that stuff, but it, it reduces the blood flow and the oxygen exchange and all that kind of stuff that they can, can um, deal with that better. But what's really cool is, hmm? Oh, I was, I just, I think I remember learning too, that they just have a sensory system that the second their head goes underwater. They, they sense like, okay, time to do that. Yeah, no. So they, their paper just came out like a year or two or a couple of years ago. Um, and this is so cool is that they, they're doing it before they dive. Wow. So like right before that, they, they're like, okay, I'm going to dive now. Heart, slow down. So they're actively like consciously thinking of it basically, which is just mind boggling personally. So cool. Imagine if you could do that, be like, um, I need my heart to slow down right now, so go. Well, and that's the thing, right, is that they're actively, probably actively thinking, okay, I'm going to dive, and then all of that other chain reaction happens subconsciously. So this, right. like, that's actually, like, a, that's like a, a physical trigger. response to that, right, physical response to the thought of, like, okay, I'm going to dive now. Right, but just that that's Very there, cool. I mean, rather than it just being a completely innate thing, like, there's a connection sure. between the brain and the rest of the body, just so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they reduce their uh, blood circulation to their peripheral blood vessels, so they keep things in the core, right? That's very similar to a lot of marine mammals. Um, so they have those kind of adaptations. They have really good eyesight above and below water, and apparently other pinnipeds don't have this as well. They have really good peripheral detection of movement. So mm -hmm. what they can see out the periphery of their, on the sides of their um, head is better. They're better at detecting that movement than other seals and sea lions. And I don't know why, maybe it's the prey that they go after, they need to do that more. Maybe because killer whales love them too. <laughs> That's true, good call. <laughs> Any little movement out the side? Right. Because right, that is the thing, right? So predator, ones that are both predator and prey, like uh, dolphins do have this, where their eyes, if you're prey, your eyes are usually set on the side of your head, so you have that good peripheral vision. And if you're predator, they're on the front of your head, so you have binocular, binocular vision yeah. in front of you. So they probably have that kind of balance where they, they're predators, so they have the eyes kind of set on the front of their head, but they have the ability to have that good peripheral vision. So that makes a lot of sense. They are fairly skittish too. I mean, if you just see them haul out, like, ah, and then they freak like, out. <laughs> well, because also if they're on land, they're not running very fast no, to get no. away from you. <laughs> Here, let me do the caterpillar. I'm going to run really fast. I'm still work. running. I'm still, still running. running. <laughs> How far did I go? Oh, I went a foot. Great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, and the last thing is about their uh, foraging behavior kind of um, is the whiskers uh, help them hunt and navigate because they can sense pressure waves with Ooh. the from the fish in the underwater. So they can sense that movement and be like, oh, there's something over there. Like a cat. It's like a right. cat whiskers. Yeah, exactly. And, and then along that with that, they have good eyesight too. So it's a really good um, combination. Um, so the last part for threats for them, um, diseases, right, where there's a lot that are zoonotic, so some of the, uh, and this is also true for sea lions as well, 
Um, the focine distemper virus, I believe, is related to the canine distemper virus. It's where it, it kind of jumped and then became in the seals and sea lions. Um, so those are, are bad. Um, the culling, <clears throat> again, uh, that's been brought up lately with the debate with salmon, how much salmon's getting eaten um, and who's, who's at fault. Uh, so that's been brought up like we should just cull a bunch of the seals and sea lions and then that'll fix the problem. The problem is that we did that, right? The bounty that they did in the, uh, up until 1960, but there's no, they didn't record any data on the populations of what that did. Like there, there's no indication that that helped at all uh, or what damage it did. So not really a great way to go. So we don't know what, how that would be. Um, their predators are bigs, killer whales, right? Or transients. <clears throat> but then because they spend half their time on land, coyotes, Vultures, eagles, bears, wolves, dogs, uh, stellars in Alaska, like Trevor said, um, and then sharks, not here, but sharks can eat them as well. So they've got a lot going on, <laughs> hence why, oh my God, there's some movement, run away. Um, <laughs> but because of that, what's interesting is that uh, human disturbance, so as we have, you know, kayaks go up or, or boats and we're, we're looking at them and whatnot, but when they are more habituated to people coming up to them like that, they don't, they lose um, their predator avoidance startle response. So they're like, oh, it's just another person. Oh, it's just another person. Oh, whoops. That wasn't a person. That was an orca. Now I'm dead. Right. Right. So it's really important that we try to stay away from them as much as possible um, because those that are that are habituated to that frequent human disturbance exhibit less anti-predatory response, which can be detrimental in the long run for that, for those seals. A lot of people think too, when they see a seal pup on the ground, like, oh no, it must be in trouble. And then right. they approach it and try to help or whatever. A lot of people like try to actually physically throw them in the water, like, oh, it's beached. Yeah, you know, and recently oh, someone picked it up and put it, like wrapped it in like seaweed or something and put it up in the beach. And then of course it died because either oh, either the mom awful. couldn't find it or she wouldn't touch it because it's been it, they're like birds where if you touch the seals and stuff the the female may not come back to it because it's been messed with yeah yeah so it's a good psa if you see a seal or sea lion but particularly seals because that's the harbor seals it's more common um, if you see a, a pup on the beach, leave it alone and leave it space because <clears throat> otherwise the mother the mother could be in the water and could see possibly even, and if you're near it, she won't come back. Um, but touching it would, is bad, moving it is bad, like they're fine, unless it's obviously emaciated. And in that case, call the stranding networks, call somebody that knows something about these animals and they will come and determine if there should be an intervention. So uh, appreciate them from a distance. And also they did mention that, yeah, they did mention that too with the California sea lions, just because the pups had a year to be weaned Right. Like again, you know, same thing. A lot of people see them on the beach and they're like, oh my gosh, it's by itself. And it's like, no, it's, it's fine. But again, so they actually, they, you know, that has been mentioned on several websites. Like, look, please just leave them there. They're fine. If, again, if, they're, if it shows signs of distress, call the stranding network, but otherwise leave it alone. Yeah. I would say that, that is, I, not realizing that they have their pups for a year. Like, yeah, they're going to be for a whole year. There's going to be multiple days right. at a time that they're by themselves because the mom's out fishing and will and we'll come back. For seals, it's only four to six weeks that we have to worry about it here. But that, yeah, would definitely right. be a, an important point to, to bring out. Yep. Um, and then the last ones is the uh, pollutants, like we talked about, the persistent organic pollutants. 
Um, what they found interesting is that there's PCVs in Southern Puget Sound, that's a fair problem for them. But in the North, uh, like in the Strait of Georgia, it's dioxins and furans from paper mills that mm. are still in the water. So, and there are differences in contaminant loads in different populations, uh, different areas in the Salish Sea. Um, and that's one thing that we're trying to figure out. What we'd like to look at is these more fine scale population, like looking at the community, you know, are there these smaller groupings of animals because there's differences in contaminant loads, which could have different uh, effects on the reproduction and the viability of the population. And so we need to understand how much mixing is going on. Are there different little small communities that need to be protected more than others or things like that. So an important thing that we can learn through photo ID um, that we are doing. And last one, of course, is entanglement. And that was, you know, basically the same as these sea, sea lions, right? They get caught in stuff and, um, you know, fishing hooks or stuff gets caught around their neck and things like that. So that is it for the harbor seals. And they're super cool because they're super cute and cuddly. No, not cuddly. They look cuddly. Don't cuddle not them. Cuddly. Don't cuddle them. Cuddly. Don't cuddle them. Don't cuddle them. <laughs> Don't cuddle any kind of seal or sea lion. Because they also, no. so fishermen and things will get bitten. Um, and they actually, it's a thing called seal finger. And it's a, I don't know if it's, it's bacterial, um, but it's really nasty. It's bacterial. And, yeah. And it's, yeah. and it, it's not good for you. Um, so they, they've got a lot of stuff going on in their mouths. <laughs> so you don't want to get bitten by one. Not necessarily a cure for it either. I think you kind of have to deal with it for a while. Yeah. I know, actually it. have a friend who actually ended up getting one because of a, a, he was a stranding response person. So I think he got bit in, in that process. Um, but yeah, it took a few weeks for it to, and it was like his arm was numb and it was hurting and yeah, it was, it's not good. So, um, but they're cute because they have spots and we can photo ID them very easily. But the cellars are cool because they're so huge and the uh, California sea lions are, I just think it's so cool. Their, their giant forehead, the males have the sagittal crest. Yeah. So they're they all each have their own thing. Yeah. But harbor seals are the coolest. <laughs> well, we're a little bit a little bit biased here because it's our study animal so there you yep. go so you know you guys can comment below too and let us know which is your favorite just right, which one which feel free to let us know what you think <laughs> feels free to put in that's a harbor seal <laughs> just kidding yeah, but please let us know. Yeah. And uh, if you have any, if you guys want to hear about any other uh, marine mammals, let us know because there's still so many to go through and uh, we need ideas of which ones we should do next. So yeah, that's absolutely. it for this, this week's Salish Sea regular animal pinnipeds, the ones that are regularly here. <laughs> um, we have to pre preface that because there's other, there's other seals and sea lions here, but um, these are the ones that we see all the time. So that's our harbor seals, our stellars, and our California sea lions. So uh, leave us a note if you want to see something else or hear about something else, and uh, we will see you next time or we'll hear us next time. Yep. All right. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. This was brought to you by Pacific Mammal Research, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Each species we discuss has their own write up in our blog. Head to our website, www.pacmam.org, that's P-A-C-M-A-M.org, to check it out. Also help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks.